You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Glad you could be with, be here with me. Uh, so, doing good news for millennials, but obviously, you know, it's good news for everyone. So, you know, you're all welcome here, but uh, I'm going to be doing a three-part series. Firstly, this week doing identity, and then next week doing work, and then the following week doing relationships. Also, um, obviously I have a thick accent. If you can't understand me, um, if you're confused at what I'm saying, give me the feedback. This is a safe environment for you to stop me and interrupt me at any time. Uh, But I want to start by thinking about stories of the world. So, I've given you a handout, and I I partly want to teach you how to read the Bible in this uh, class. Uh, So we're going to look at stories of the world versus stories of the Bible. And the story of the Bible... uh, Hey, welcome. Grab a handout on that chair. So the story of the Bible is how we will break up kind of most of this class, looking at how it was in the beginning at Genesis, what happened at the fall, what happens in redemption, and what we're looking forward to the future. But I want to begin by talking about uh, moral formation and the stories of the world. Uh, what I mean by that is uh, I'm not referring to moralism uh, or following the law, but rather how we think and act and what we call ethics. Uh, so I want to begin here because Absolutely everything uh, in the world contributes to your moral formation, how you think and how you act. Uh, Or as others have said around here, everything around you is catechizing you to think in a particular way. Uh, At the moment, there's a huge push in our society to reorder your moral formation with regard to race and gender and sexuality and identity. Uh, Our culture is trying to catechize you, trying to teach you uh, how to think, how to act about these things. Uh, And not all of these things are totally bad. We would do well to listen to a lot of what they're saying. Uh, But through all of these different influences, or through all these different voices, we begin to write a story about ourselves. We begin to form an identity. Uh, And the prevailing story that our culture is trying to tell you is that you have to be true to yourself. Uh, That's actually from Tim Keller. Um, so take it up with him if you think that's not the prevailing story. But you have to be true to yourself. You'll find the most fulfillment if you seek first yourself. It's a self-centered story where the highest good is self-realization. Uh, and so in this three-part series, I want to look at how the Bible catechizes us, how it teaches us how to think and act with regard to our identity, our work, and our relationships. And so I basically want to tell you a different story from the story that the world is telling you. It's the story of the Bible. It's a story about how God created us in the beginning, but how things got messed up by the fall, how the good news of Jesus Christ is redeeming and restoring us and all of creation, and it ends with what we have to look forward to. So we'll look at the Bible in these four sections of creation, fall, redemption, and future glory. So the story of the Bible... uh, God's design, how it was meant to be. So in the very beginning, God uh, created us in His image. We read this in Genesis 1, 26-27. We were created to be like God and to somehow resemble Him. Uh, the image of God is a very hotly debated topic of what does it mean to be created in the image of God. Uh, but it, for me, and 
I think it uh, like we're meant to be like God and to somehow resemble Him, to to be an image of Him. We ourselves are not gods, but we are created to behave in a similar way to God. And so we see this in ourselves uh, as we become. Uh, we're created to be relational people. We're created to be in relationship with God, with each other. Uh, and with the creation. Uh, in Genesis 2.18 it says it's not good for man to be alone. We're created to be relational. Second, we're created to be rational. God created the world in, in an orderly manner. He is a God of order. We see that in 1 Corinthians 14. The creation itself follows laws of nature. And so too humans are created with rational minds that are able to order things. And we'll look at that a lot more next week with work. Uh, and then rulers, uh, just as God rules over creation, He's commanded humanity to have dominion and rule over creation as His representatives. We carry out God's creative work by filling and subduing the earth just as He did. So we are commanded to uh, fill and subdue uh, just as God has done. And we'll talk about that more next week as well. So ultimately, all of these things, uh, they make up our identity and are located in relationship with God. He creates us. He endows us with dignity of being His image bearers. We have a charge by Him to have dominion over the earth under His supreme rule. Without God, we are nothing. So our identity is found in Him. So at, at the beginning, our identity is in relationship with God uh, being given by Him. Uh, so there's a little summary there. God designed us and gave us an identity as His image bearers. Our identity is found in Him. But that's not how it is right now uh, because of the fall. Uh, so when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, our identities became confused and distorted. We didn't lose the image of God, uh, but all of humanity changed from being in a state of innocent obedience to uh, guilty disobedience. So now from birth we are sinners affected by sin. Uh, which distorts our hearts and our disorders uh, and disorders our desires. Uh, it does this by turning our hearts inward so that we uh, love ourselves and the things of this world more than we love God and we become selfish. Uh, this disordering of our desires leads us to constantly rebel against God as we seek to establish ourselves in the place of God. And the self is put in the place that only God can inhabit as we place ourselves upon the throne as kings and queens of our own little worlds. And so we, we see this played out as we try and determine what is good and evil, uh, rather than letting God do that for us. So that's what happens uh, when Eve takes the fruit and, and eats it and gives it to Adam. They try and determine what is good and evil for themselves, rather than listening to God. And so in Genesis 3, 1 to 13, the trust and vulnerability that is found in chapters 1 and 2 is now replaced with deceit and lies and shame. And this rebellion against God breaks our relationship with Him, and therefore we cannot and will not represent Him to the world as we were originally designed. We rebel against letting Him determine who we are. We rebel against our, the identity that He has given us. It's in this rebellion that we construct our own identities. We're, we're meant to be image bearers of God. We're meant to be in relationship with Him to receive the identity that He's given us, but we are constantly rebelling against that. And so we rebel against that by attaching values to things around us, such as work or relationships or power or money or success. 
and we we uh, attach so much value to them to, in an attempt to justify ourselves and to create an identity to others, uh, and, and in, in an attempt to justify ourselves to our very self. And because of sin, we have a need, like Adam and Eve, to cover ourselves up with the things of this world, for we're no longer naked and unashamed. We we need to construct these identities to mask and cover up our shame. Uh, so the summary for this is, through sin we rebel against our God-given identity and seek to justify our existence to the world and to ourselves in anything apart from God. Our identity is rebels and enemies of God. We are sinners. So something that we say a lot around here is, um, we are not sinners because we sin, but we sin because we are sinners. Uh, and that's a little bit of a confusing turn of phrase, but what it means is you don't become a sinner because of the actions that you do, because of the things that you do. You do the things you do because by nature your identity is a sinner set against God. Um, so there's a little bit of a, a tweak there, but uh, it's helpful to remember that. So this brings us to the good news. We've, we've seen what it was meant to be in the beginning. We've seen what happened at the fall, which is what explains the current cultural uh, moment of yourself being the ultimate fulfillment. And now we're going to turn to the gospel. Does anyone have a Bible with them? Is anyone a good Christian? Would, would you all turn to Galatians chapter 3? And would someone read verses 26 to 29 out for us? Open it on your phone if you've got a phone. Galatians chapter 3, 26 to 29. Who's brave enough? Thanks, Robert. Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. And heirs according to the promise. Thanks, Robert. Um, so this is a very near and dear passage to my heart. It's the first uh, passage that I wrote a theological essay on, um, and it's also just a good example of the gospel and uh, kind of what I'm trying to say uh, this morning of of the good news that comes to us as uh, millennials and as all people that we have been adopted into God's family. Uh, so the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, as it were, is that through Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension, we are redeemed and reconciled back to God. Our sin is forgiven and our rebellion is atoned for. And we once again can be in relationship with Him. Uh, so three things occur uh, when we are saved. Firstly, we're born again. Uh, through the Spirit's work in us, we are born again into a living hope, Peter says. It's in this rebirth, in this regeneration, that our hearts become renewed. So previously in the fall, our hearts were distorted so that we loved everything other than God. By the Spirit, our hearts are renewed so that no longer are we self-focused, but we are you know, undistorted, unrecreated once again so that we can love God as He is rightly deserves. And also we are united to Christ. 
Uh, it is in this union with Christ that we now find our true identity. Uh, so this is a big, it sounds kind of plainly worded, union with Christ, but it's a big kind of theological concept that when we put faith in Christ, we get united to Him by the Holy Spirit. And so what happens in our union with Christ is that whatever happens to Christ happens to us spiritually, by the Spirit. So that we, we see this in baptism. You've been uh, put to death and raised with Christ. And we see this in, all throughout the New Testament. Uh, Ephesians says, Every spiritual blessing has been given to us in Christ. So just as He is seated in the heavenly places, so we too are seated in heaven with Him now. Uh, so this is a huge... Uh, concept, uh, but it's kind of tricky to get your mind around because we're earthly and mortal beings right now. We we feel the suffering of this world, but in reality, there's just so much going on by the Spirit who unites us to Christ and who who gives us so many good things. Uh, so through the Spirit, through this union of Christ, we go through a sort of recreation as we are recreated in the image of Christ. Uh, and so the third thing and the thing I want to spend most of my time thinking about and looking at is adoption. When we're united to Christ, we're adopted into God's family. And uh, Doug Webster helpfully talked about this this morning, being a, a member of the household of God. God is no longer just a ruler. He's no longer just a sovereign. He's no longer just the king. He becomes our father who loves to give us good things. And through our adoption in Christ, we become heirs to the promises of God and co-heirs to the kingdom of God. I need to kind of dwell on this, becoming heirs to the promises of God for a little bit, because I need to zoom out for a little bit and think about the whole story of the Bible. So God creates us, Genesis 1 and 2, Genesis 3, there's the fall. And in the middle of Genesis 3, there's this promise that there will be a serpent crusher. We're reading through the the uh, Beginner's Bible, and um, what's Kevin DeYoung's one that you started reading? Kevin DeYoung wrote a Bible for beginners as well. And it talks about this serpent crusher that God promises that will come and that will deliver us from the devil, uh, that will bind the strong man, as we read about this morning. Uh, And so all throughout the Old Testament, we're waiting for for this one who would come and bring about this serpent crushing. And we get uh, all these different people. And finally, in Genesis 12, we get to Abraham. And Abraham becomes uh, the man that God promises these things to. He makes a covenant with Abraham. And he says, I'm going to give you uh, land. I'm going to make you uh, one of my people. And I'm going to make you into a great nation. And you'll be very blessed. Uh, And from there, we're waiting for this serpent crusher to come from his line. Uh, And so we get this... Uh, kind of picture of the kingdom of God being uh, God's people in God's place under God's rule. And a good example of God's people in God's place under God's rule. Uh, And we're waiting for that kind of time when the promised people will be in their promised land uh, with God once again. Uh, And so... uh, as we come to the New Testament and as we go through the gospel, uh, that happens to us in Christ. So we become God's people in God's place, seated in the heavenly places right now, under God's rule by the Spirit as we are united to Christ. 
Uh, so we get a kind of partial fulfillment of that happening within us by the Spirit in Christ. Uh, and so becoming an heir of the promise of God is kind of joining us to that story of Abraham, joining us to that story of the Old Testament in Christ Jesus as he's the one who comes to crush the serpent's head and as we uh, go up into the heavenly places with him, as we ascend into heaven with him. I feel like I've got so much more to say than that, but I'll give it a pause. Um, so going back to adoption a little bit, there are many different words that the New Testament uh, calls Christians. We see this uh, Ephesians 1 and Philippians 1. We're called saints. Uh, we're called brothers and sisters in Christ. We're called kings and priests, a royal priesthood. We're called the chosen or the elect. We're called the called. Uh, so there's many things that describes your identity in Christ. But being a child of God is one of the highest privileges of being a Christian. So being adopted into God's family is one of the highest privileges. J.R. Packer says, Adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers, higher even than justification. To be right with God the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is even greater. So to be justified, to be right with God is a good thing, but to be loved and cared for by God uh, is even greater. Uh, there's some idea. Uh, there's some idea around here that uh, I don't mean the advent. I mean in the world that everyone is a child of God. Um, that every human being is a child of God, and that's kind of true in that everyone is created from God. Uh, so everyone is in the image of God. Everyone is given dignity. But we're not all in a loving relationship. We're not all in a good, familial relationship with God. Uh, the Bible calls those who are outside of faith in Christ enemies of God. And we see this all throughout the Old Testament. Israel is always at war with the nations surrounding him. We see this in the New Testament as well, as Paul states in Romans 5.10, that even when we were enemies against God, Christ saved us. So we are called, uh, sorry, we're also called in Ephesians 2.3, children of wrath, children deserving of wrath, of wrath. Um, so all, all of humanity, though they come from God, are not all in right relationship with God. It's only those who are in Christ, who have been adopted into God's family, who are in right relationship with Him and can call Him Father. Yeah, go. Right. Yeah, and the so the Pharisees were accusing Jesus of being a son of the devil. Um, yeah, it's got to do with language. I mean, they were just saying you're a demon to Jesus. Um, but there is a there is a sense, and I so Acts seventeen twenty nine. Paul says, um, what does he say? Being then God's offspring, uh, and so that's where I like. I want to say that every human being is a child of God in some sense, but I don't want to. I don't want to confuse that with being someone who is in relationship with the Father in a saving, in a redemptive way, because there's a privilege there that comes through uh, putting your faith in Jesus. Uh, that comes through being in relationship with Him by the Spirit uh, that we get that. 
is just different from being a general human being. Um, and it's to do with that rebellion factor. So by nature, we are children who rebel against our Father. Uh, but by the Spirit, our hearts are re- regenerated, renewed, and we are back in relationship with Him. Any more questions or thoughts on that? You got your pinky up. Uh, so just a summary of that. Through Christ's death for us, we are redeemed and reconciled back to God. By faith, through grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, we are recreated to be in Christ Jesus. Our identity is found in Christ. Uh, the difficulty with all of this, as I've kind of hinted to, is that we live in the now but not yet. We, While this is true of us spiritually, uh, we're, we are seated in the heavenly places right now in Christ Jesus. We're still looking forward to the future and waiting for Jesus to return uh, and consummate his kingdom, a time uh, at which time our physical bodies will be transformed from mortal bodies into immort- immortal bodies. We'll be glorified and will be revealed as the sons of God. So we live in this in-between time where it's a spiritual reality, but it's not quite a physical reality yet. So we're still waiting for Jesus to return and kind of finish what he has started. Uh, at which time, when Jesus returns, sin will be no more and we'll be in perfect relationship with God. We will no longer seek out our own identities. We'll no longer seek to justify ourselves, for we will be made perfect. Uh, so a summary of that, we look forward to when Jesus will return to complete what he has started, the physical transformation of all things. That's when our identity will be perfected. We won't be freaking out anymore. We'll be perfect. Uh, so... That's kind of the story of the Bible, uh, long-winded. Um, but what does this mean for you and for me? There's a lot there that means a lot of good things. But there's much more that I could be said theologically about how the gospel impacts our identity. But I want to think pastorally for a moment, think about how this affects your life. So I need to zoom out just a little bit. Uh, firstly, because of our salvation, because our salvation is by grace for, through faith, and it's wholly about what Jesus has done for us, there's a lot of good news in that for us. The gospel tells us, tells you, that you are loved. That you are loved by God, the creator, the sustainer of all things. We don't have to, be, we don't have to try to be good enough for God. In Jesus, we just see how much God loves us. Even when we were his enemies, he gave his son for us. So the gospel tells us, that we are loved, even when we're set against Him. Uh, The Gospel tells us that we are secure. Because our salvation is by grace alone through faith alone, not by works, our salvation is secure. We are secure in Christ. We are free from the fear of failing God. We're free from the fear of being found out by God. I don't know if you have imposter syndrome. I'm sure that every person in the world has imposter syndrome. Of that fear of being caught out of not measuring up uh, in your work or in your relationships or maybe to yourself. Um, But we don't have that fear anymore because our salvation is secure in Christ. I was thinking about that uh, when we were singing one of the songs, uh, By my side, my Savior, he will stay. Uh, I got a little bit emotional in that song just thinking about you know, I've, I'm, I've got a bit of anxiety being up the front. I've got a bit, a bit of anxiety doing this class. But by my side, my Savior, He will stay. 
Uh, I'm secure in that, knowing that he loves me and he cares for me so much. Uh, Finally, you matter. These are all kind of saying the same thing, but you matter. The gospel reminds us that you matter to God. Just like your parents care about uh, you, so God cares about every part of your life. You matter to God, which is a huge call. I mean, who are you? Psalm 8, who am I, O God, that you should care about me? I mean, Michael Weeks, Birmingham, Alabama, Podunk country, Podunk state, Podunk city. You know, we're not in New York. We're not in Paris. We're not in London. We're not in Sydney, the greatest city on earth. (laughs) Who are we? And yet God loves us. He cares for us. Because of the gospel, our, our identity is secure in Christ. We don't have to seek out our own identities. We can stop striving to justify ourselves for we are given a new identity. Through our adoption, we have a close, intimate relationship with God, our Father. We are called brothers and sisters in Christ, children of the Most High God. Uh, I think I've given you a table on the back. Great, thank you. Uh, so a guy who lives in Birmingham called Ben Birdsong, I don't know him, but he writes for Rooted, um, Rooted Ministry, which is our youth department. Um, he has this helpful table to uh, kind of think through your identity. So, uh, do you know if you're asking these questions of do I matter, do I fit, does anyone love me? Uh, you can know that uh, because of Jesus, you are accepted. Uh, and then he gives these passages: I'm a child of God. I'm united with the Lord. I'm chosen and adopted. I'm complete in Jesus. I have direct access to God through Jesus Christ. Or if you know, I'm feeling I'm too much of a failure. Can I ever overcome the struggles that I face? Will I spend eternity in heaven? Because of Jesus, I am secure, free from condemnation. God is at work in my life for his glory and my good. Does my life even matter? Can I really make a difference? Can I ever be used by God? Because of Jesus, I am significant. I'm connected to Jesus as my source of life. I've been called to bear fruit I'm seated with Jesus in heaven. I'm God's workmanship. I can approach God with freedom and confidence. Uh, it might be worth putting that on your fridge and reminding yourself of that uh, every day. Um, because it's all good and well for me to say these things to you, for you to know these things. Uh, but as long as it remains theoretical, as long as it remains only up in your head, uh, it's pretty useless. Um, in my experience, it's only when we move from our, when we move it from our head to our heart, praying that God would implant it uh, within us, deep within us, it will have any impact on us. Um, and one way to help that to happen is to continually rehearse the gospel to yourself, reminding yourself of the good news of Jesus Christ and God's love for you. So one guy, Milton Vincent, he says, There is simply no other way to compete with the forebodings of my conscience the condemnings of my heart and the lies of the world and the devil than to overwhelm such things with daily rehearsings of the gospel. Uh, so personal story, um, I'm a massive sinner, obviously, um, and I struggle to get what is in my head. Like I've, I've gone through seminary, I've got a doctor of ministry, I know the gospel inside and out, but I struggle to get the gospel from my head to my heart. And so uh, my counselor told me that I should rehearse the gospel. I should preach the gospel to myself. So I wrote out a little gospel sermon to myself. You know, John 3.16, 
God loves you, Michael. God loves Michael Weeks so much that he gave his only son for him. Uh, and the other verses that I can't write, remember right now because I haven't rehearsed it enough to myself. Uh, but I would encourage you to rehearse the gospel to yourself, to tell yourself, to preach yourself to yourself the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he loves you and that you don't have to worry about all of that out there or all of this in here. Um, you are loved and accepted in Christ. That's all I've got on my piece of paper, but any questions, thoughts, comments? Mm-hmm. You know, for God yeah. so loves you. Right. It's my cousin's name and all of these cards. And I was like, that would be yeah. so cool to have because it just really, like to me, that affected me. I saw it briefly for a second. And I was like, that may be worth spending the however, yeah. $5 or whatever it is to get I mean, you can card. do that on your computer. <laughs> you do that with your kids, you know, get them to write yeah. it out. It's really yeah. cool. Yeah. Any questions? You're all a captive audience. I love it. I, I think it's very yeah. liberating to, to feel because you know I'm from Europe. I think you're, you're from Australia. No, basically Europe. Yeah. <laughs> I would say everything is about yourself. Right. <laughs> Over there, for me, it was very new to be here and to um, to have the, this message told to me that you know it's. It's not all relying on yourself. Right. Actually, there's this God there, and, and there is Jesus there, and it's not about you know you realizing yourself, because that's kind of all this pressure on yourself. Yeah. Right. And that's what we are used to in where I'm from, and it's very liberating to hear that. No, it's it's, it's not like that. And so I think it's 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 I like the message here, and you know the, the how we laid it out because it really kind of reinforces that this is not all about yourself. Yeah. You no, know, it's, it's right. Like, you're a part of a story that is centered on Jesus and you're joined to him yeah it's not about you that's good and uh, who was it that Tim Keller said that about you know the stories of the world right now what was this quote you have to be true to yourself so if we look at the Facebook page of friends in Europe (laughs) it's about that (laughs) it's about you have to kind of believe in yourself it's all about kind of and, and that is I think not liberating at all. It's right. It's really pressure on people. And just, you know, having that kind of message of salvation, you know, it's, it's so much, it's so liberating. And yeah. I just wanted to kind of... Yeah, I mean, that's where all my anxiety comes from when I'm trying to prove myself and I'm trying to, you know, build myself up. Um, I need to not worry about that. And right. Yeah, remember that God is for me. Yeah. Any other thoughts, sharings, comments? I'm going to pray for us and then I'll let you go. Dear loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your Son we have the forgiveness of our sins and by your Spirit we are joined to him that we might be adopted into your family. Father, we ask that you would remind us, uh, plant it deeper within our heart that uh, in Jesus Christ we are loved and accepted, that we matter and that uh, we are yours. And Father, we pray all these things through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. 
If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.